welcome to the Saturday morning chat. We're only starting five minutes late, so it's not too bad. Um, it's great to see you all. Uh, uh, I've been doing this thing where I start off with uh, sort of early stage questions, and then when we run out of early stage questions, we move on to later stage questions just to make sure that that we don't turn into like a you know stage nine only thing as everybody advances through the process. So. Uh, so does anybody have any sort of earlier stage questions they'd like to ask? And by earlier, I mean probably five or below. Chris. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks again for hosting. Um, sure. I'm still trying to wake up, so I apologize if my question is uh, not well formulated. Um, oh. But. I've been, I think I mentioned this last week, but I've been practicing around like stage, been fluctuating, but uh, between stages two to four, but I think I can usually be at like three or four mm -hmm. on like uh, any given day. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things I wrestle with is, um, you know, I, I've read a lot in the subreddits and or the subreddit and it talks about this idea of using intention in order to do it. Um, yes. And I don't quite understand that. I think I often run into this issue where like I'll be sitting and I will just like, if I actually back off a little bit, I'll notice that I just have so much tension everywhere. So I yes. think I'm definitely over efforting, um, and which probably, you know, uh, the book mentioned, the mind illuminating mentions, you know, you don't want to be trying too much. You want to actually enjoy your sits. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like I can enjoy my sits, but, you know, whenever I'm feeling like all that tension, I'm pretty sure I'm doing something wrong. So just interested to hear what other people's approaches to that are. Yeah, so um, it's it's possible you're doing something wrong. It's also possible that you're um, actually accessing a purification, and 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 uh, that can bring up body tension too. So so don't feel like don't feel like body tension is always a signal that something's going wrong. But definitely, um, it's good to it's good to get on to, to start understanding like how how intentions work, um, so that you can tell the difference between. Um, you know, over efforting and, and over efforting can be really subtle. Like, like, you know, uh, you can find even in the later stages that like you're, you're over efforting just a tiny bit and you'll feel like a, a small tension, like some muscle, like I, sometimes for me, I'll have a muscle in my hand where actually I've noticed recently that, that, that one of my fingers starts twitching. Um, and it's very subtle, but it's like, whoa. And, and then I can actually like navigate towards and away from whatever the thought was that was causing the twitching to happen. So, so that's something, you know, if you find, you know, you shouldn't probably in the early stages get too um, wrapped up in investigating that. But if you find that you've got a lot of body tension, it's probably worth just asking, you know, am I resisting something right now? Like, is there something that I'm actually like fighting with as opposed to, you know, um, am I over efforting? Um, because if, if it's if you're if you're if you're in a if you're in a purification, then the noticing you're in a purification and being like, oh, this is interesting, is actually a really beneficial way to 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 help the purification along in the process. Um, that said, um, your question about intentions is good, um, and from what you've described, it sounds like you have a pretty decent perspective, a, a decent amount of introspective awareness about this. So um, I'll describe to you a little bit what I, the way I kind of think of intentions and, and I hope this helps. Um, so if you imagine like, you know, when you were a baby and you were first learning to grasp an object, right? Like you didn't know how to grasp an object, like physically, you didn't know how to pick something up, 
right? Like, and, and if you look at how babies pick things up, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's sort of cute, but also very clumsy, right? They're like, oh, a cup, bam, and the cup goes flying, right? Or, you know, a little bit later, they're like, oh, a cup. And they, they like manage to put their finger into the handle on the cup and they pick up the cup and immediately everything spills out of the cup because they didn't know that they needed to keep their hands steady. And so uh, over time, you know, that baby that was knocking the cup off of the tray um, develops the skill of being able to put the finger through the hole in the cup, lift the cup up, bring it to the lips, tilt it in and drink out of it. Um, and each of those little micro motions, all of those are actually built up of little intentions. Um, and so the process of learning to meditate is actually exactly like that. Um, it's not like you stop, it's not like the learning process changed because you're not a baby anymore, but I'm using the baby example because I think we've all seen it enough that we can kind of kind of understand it mechanically. Um, that what's going on with the baby is, so, so the baby sees the cup, the baby knows that there's something in the cup that the baby wants to drink. And so the baby is like, okay, and the, an intention forms, right? It's not even that the baby is like, I will now intend to pick up the cup. It's that an intention forms to pick up the cup, right? It's automatic. It's like, oh, I need to I somehow get that thing over here. I've seen mommy do it, like there must be a way to do it. And then that intention forms and, you, and the baby reaches out and, and knocks over the cup. And then the baby's like, oh, okay, well, I seem to be able to touch the cup, so that's progress, right? I mean, sometimes what'll happen is the baby will be like, ah! And you know, we sometimes experience that in our meditation practice too, so it's <laughs> still very similar. Um, but, but, you know, so you, you reach out and, and you, you basically you're just learning these little micro um, intention, these little micro intentions and the skills that go with them. And, and the intentions are never like something that you're like holding strongly. It's more just an experimental process. Like, you know, oh, I want to drink out of the cup, so I need to touch the cup. And then as, as that process unfolds, you realize that there are more and more things that you need to learn how to do before you can actually pick up the cup. And so when you look at the stages of meditation, it's actually essentially the same. Um, you know, in stage, in stage one, the thing you're learning to do is just have an intention to pick up the cup. Right. And in stage two, um, you know, you've decided to pick up the cup, but whenever you pick it up, you knock it over. And then uh, and, and so in stage two, you start to the thing you're trying to, to learn how to do is just notice that you've knocked it over because it's a little more subtle with meditation. It's not a cup and there's no water in it. Um, and then uh, when you notice that you've knocked it over, then you just go back to picking it up. And, and, and then in stage three, it's a little more subtle. You're like noticing a more subtle degree of, of knocking it over, like not being able to hold it straight. And that's, that's um, gross distractions turning into forgetting, right? And then in stage four, it's subtler still. It's like, okay, I can pick up the cup, but it's kind of wobbling a lot. And I need to learn how to make it not wobble as I bring it over here. And so that's, that's like, like subtle distractions turning into gross distractions is one kind of wobble. And um, dullness, progressive subtle dullness turning into gross dullness is another wobble. And then in stage five, the wobbling is mostly gone. And now it's more about just like learning to tilt it the right way so that you get the right amount in. And I mean, I'm now the metaphor is starting to break down, but, but do you see what I'm saying? I mean, this is, this is really what the intentional process is all about. It's not, it's not like some like, I am going to do the thing. I am going to do the thing. I am going to do the thing. It's not, that's not how it works, but there, there is a little bit of a back and forth process in your mind. So does that, 
Yeah. Yeah. No, the, I, I really like the analogy. Um, I'm wondering, so in like, when I go sit after this, I'm um, planning mm -hmm. on doing it 30 to 45 minutes and, you know, you can set some intentions at the beginning, but you know, if I'm trying to overcome gross distractions, for example, like what mm -hmm. do I set the intention once at the beginning or do I just like, it, it sounds like you don't want to do it continuously because that becomes its own gross distraction probably. So like, yeah. I guess, what is the actual mechanism or cadence that I use um, to set that intention? And sort of related question, like what exactly does that, is it a thought? Like what, what is an intention? Is it like a very quick thought? Is it, do, am I actually hearing myself say it? Um, is it just a quick like, well, yeah, I guess, what, what is an intention? <laughs> yeah, so, so two things. One, um, uh, Damn it, it's gone out of my mind now. All right, well, I'll talk about the other one and maybe maybe the first one will come back. Um, so so um, think about the cup process again, right? Like when you go to reach for the cup, are you like thinking, reach for cup, reach for cup, reach for cup, reach for cup? No, of course not. You're just like an intention. It's not even, it's not even necessarily a verbal intention, although it might be, but an intention forms to reach the cup. So um, with the meditation process, it's a little bit different because, because it's a lot more, uh, like there isn't a cup out there that you're looking at, right? Like, like it's a lot harder to tell exactly what you have to do. And so there is this process of sort of thinking about what to do in meditation. Um, and that can be verbal. It doesn't have to be verbal. And at some point it probably won't be verbal, but certainly in the early stages, it's, it's fairly common that it's verbal. Um, but what you'll find is that the verbalizations drop away first for the things that you're better at. So, you know, you, you'll, you'll get better and better at noticing gross distractions and coming back to the object. And then, you know, you'll stop verbalizing about that because you don't need to anymore. Um, so, so don't think of, first of all, don't think of the verbalizations as a problem. If you have verbalizations, it's fine. Um, those will tend to drop away as you get better at okay. uh, know what you're doing. Secondly, um, this is the thing that I was going to get to before. Um, when you're in stage four, don't worry about subtle distractions and don't worry about subtle dullness. Like don't try to fix those problems in stage four, because uh, in the case of subtle distractions, what, what you're going to find is that the things that you're doing to correct your meditation are subtle distractions, right? Just as you said, um, they're hopefully not gross distractions, but that can happen too. Um, and if it does, you know, if you, if you start to notice yourself like, like having long detailed thoughts about what you're doing in your meditation practice um, as you're meditating, it's it's worth noticing that and, and noticing that is a gross distraction but um but it doesn't mean that it's wrong to have thoughts about your meditation so you, you you're kind of you're kind of riding a balance between like thinking about your meditation too much and thinking about your meditation not enough at some point you will get to the point where you're like i don't actually need to think about this anymore because i know what i'm doing and and at that point you may well have to do this thing where you where you start to deliberately let go of the thinking about because the thinking about has become a habit but until you get to that point it's okay to be thinking about it i mean that's essentially what checking in is checking in is stopping for a moment thinking about it making a plan so the other thing you said is is setting an intention at the beginning so let's go back to the cup analogy again um Suppose, suppose you're a baby and you're trying to pick up a cup and you're trying to learn how to pick up a cup. Because that's really what we're doing. We're trying to learn how to do something, okay? So you're trying to learn how to pick up a cup. And so you reach out and you, you, you touch the cup and you realize that you're overcorrecting and it's not going to go right. And so you, you stop and you, 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 you pause and you think about what you need to do next and you do it again. And so that's kind of the process that we're doing is the pausing, thinking, and doing it again. 
And so you, doing that only at the beginning of the meditation is not going to help you very much. This is why um, it's actually pretty important not to think to yourself, um, I, am, uh, I am going to do blah for the whole meditation, um, but rather, uh, and not to think to yourself, I'm at stage three, right? Actually, that's, that's the thing I was trying to say. Not, not to think of yourself as I'm at stage three or I'm at stage two or I'm at stage four, but rather, what, which stage obstacle am I encountering right now as I'm sitting? Um, and just be really like tuned into what, what the obstacle is that's coming up right now. Because what you may find happen, I mean, this is a fairly typical progression in meditation. You'll start off and you'll have some very like stage two-y obstacle. And you'll work on that for a little while. And then the stage two obstacle will stop happening because you've actually worked on it and you've, you've trained yourself out of it, at least for this sit. And then you'll encounter a stage three obstacle and you'll start working on that if you realize that that's changed. If you don't realize that it's changed, you'll keep working on the stage two obstacle for the whole meditation and you won't make very rapid progress. It's, it's not useless, but it's, it's not as effective as it could be. So it's really important to be in tune with what's actually happening right now. Not, it's good to have like a, you know, from meditation to meditation plan as well. Like notice what's getting better and what's not. And then you can have some ideas about what to work on but also be, be aware of what's going on in the moment. And then what you'll find is you'll probably progress to some uh, peak in the meditation. And then at some point, uh, diligence will drop. And for the rest of the meditation, you'll be on a, you'll be on a downward swing. And you'll, you'll, things will be going okay because, because the habits are all working now, but you'll have stopped being diligent. You'll have stopped like, like um, sort of, intending to push a little bit and um so so then it's actually useful to be aware that that's a thing that happens at the end of your meditation because then you can notice mm -hmm. when it happens and counteract it so that when you come off the end of your, when the bell rings you're still you're still diligent because mm -hmm. you know so so if you notice that when the bell rings you're not diligent then then you have that obstacle and you can start identifying it so you see you've got like all of these things that you have to do and it's never it's never you know, we think of meditation as being calm and tranquil, but that's like the result after you've mastered all of this stuff, not how it is when you're learning. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Ted. Sure. Can I jump in on, on this really quick? Yeah. Uh, I've had really good success with the micro-intention type strategy, um, just to bring that up, um, and maybe what your opinion on that is, because... I kind of get the impression that you're not overly fond of it. So the way I do it, or the phrase I really like is um, raising the mind to the object. So repeatedly kind of doing the thing where I direct attention to the nose. And I think, so that's what intention feels like for me. Just like paying attention to the nose. It's not like I want to feel my nose. It's more like, oh, there's my nose, I'm feeling it. And then just doing that before every in-breath and every out-breath. Yeah, so um, the reason why I, I um, don't actually kind of push the micro-intention practice, I was a true believer for a while, but I found that it was creating a lot of stress for me. And I think it's because I was doing it wrong. Um, and so, um, so I, and, and I was doing it wrong after having a long conversation with Nick about how to do it. 
so um, so the reason why I'm not advocating it as a practice is not because I think if you do it right, it's bad. It's just that I'm afraid that I'm going to convince people to do it in a way that creates stress for them. And I don't want that. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, the thing about the micro intention practice and, and what you said is, is great. Like just, just notice the, 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 the object and don't try to, you know, force something or construct something or anything like that. But um, uh, if, if your attention is already on the object and you're constantly trying to keep your attention on the object, that's very stressful. If your attention isn't on the object and you correct, put your attention back on the object gently, um, that doesn't have to be stressful. And so if you have this experience where your attention is like you put your attention on the object and it quickly starts drifting away and you have to keep doing this, um, it's not bad to keep, to keep, um, to keep correcting over and over again. That's actually part of the process of, of learning. And, and you, you do have to go through that. But, but what, I, what I'm sort of cautioning against with the, with the micro-intention practice is, you know, so you've been doing this correcting and, and you sort of narrowed in on the object and now you're pretty solid on the object and you're still trying to correct, um, then you can wind up with a massive headache at the end of your meditation yeah. because you're, you're trying to do something you can't do. Sorry. Yeah, it's like piling effort where it's not necessary. It's exactly. Like, and and yeah. it's more than that because you're piling effort where it's not necessary. And because you're not getting a change, nothing's changing because you're putting all of this effort in and nothing's changing. You keep ratcheting up the effort. And so it's yeah. like orders of magnitude more effort than you need. It's not just a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. But the, I, I, you know, I, I, think that, I think that you make a good point, though, that, that, that it is worth understanding that practice. You just have to be careful not to misuse it. And Chris, just in case you're, you, you may already be aware of this, but there's one of the pinned posts on, on the subreddit is, is about that. Are you referring to Nick's? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely read that. I just, I felt like that was what was causing me to cause the tension, but I liked your point about it possibly being a purification. So um, I'll sort of keep in mind on that. Um, cool. Can I also jump in? Please. Um, yeah, also, what I really like to do is in the beginning of the sit, when you set your first intention, really um, take your time to find a motivation to do the practice. Just really consider for yourself, why are you doing this? And really take your time to reflect on that. And then usually after a while, you get like a more a feeling of motivation. And that helps uh, with a good start as well. So I recommend that. Nice. Sorry about the chewing. Andrew just brought me a scone. And I'm happy. <laughs> so um, do we have uh, more questions? Alexander? Um, so maybe this or probably this is still a early stage question. At least I'm usually in stage two, three, four, leaning towards four again. And um, for a long time, uh, dullness was my thing to, to work with and work on. And the uh, last couple of weeks, um, I've been able to discover a lot of sadness behind the dullness. And uh, I've been able to sort of encourage the, the emotions to present themselves instead of 
uh, yeah, dulling them up. And uh, recently, uh, something started where I get a lot of movement. And from what I hear in descriptions from other people, it's not like these Kriya movements where you're like jerky moving around and something is just flipping and, and things like that. It's, it's more like a very slow, gentle swaying movement. And I'm, I'm not sure what this is about. And for me, I don't know, I don't feel any energy related with that. And I've been looking at them for a while and they sort of feel a bit like a distraction to me. Um, and I've been trying to just let them be and, and uh, having the attention still on the breath and that works up to a certain point. And I've also looked into, can I stop them? And of course I can. And sometimes it takes a bit more effort and sometimes it feels like just that there's a, a little thing that I just need to sort of let go of and, and then they stop. And yeah, any ideas on what I should do with them or should I really try to leave them be or ride them out or what are your thoughts on this? What you just said is perfect. Like you're looking for that little thing because what's going on is like there's some kind of, I mean, the, what you're describing is a, a, it is a form of pity, right? It's not, it, it's, it's just for you, the way it's manifesting is a slow thing rather mm -hmm. than a rapid thing, which is actually nice because the rapid things are kind of uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And nice. fact, yeah, and the fact that you're able to notice um, this little subtle thing that seems to be connected to what's happening and try to release that, that's exactly what you should be doing. I mean, that's perfect. Okay. Like, like, you don't have to change anything about that. As long as, I mean, if, if you feel like there's a problem, then, then by all means. But yeah, it's essentially, you can treat it as a distraction. If you notice something to do, do it. Um, you know, something to let go of, let go of it. I, I shouldn't say something to do. You certainly don't want to try and suppress it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, don't try to stop it other than by noticing what's causing it and releasing that. Okay. That's, that's a fine uh, distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's, and and I, I like the way you put it. Um, and then the other thing is, um, you know, you may find at some point, like Andrea at one point was having this thing happening where her head would just slowly do that. Uh. If your head does that, there's, then you ask yourself the question, well, you know, I'm supposed to stay still in meditation. Does that mean that I should stay here or should I come back to here? And the answer is do whatever's comfortable. It's fine to stay here if that's comfortable, but it's probably not. So you might want to do yeah. that. Yeah. I, I, I get it like this and it can get uncomfortable after a while. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't just stay there. It's perfectly fine to correct for that. Yeah. But the, the thing that put the head there is often corrects again. So uh, yes. Yeah. You, you might find yourself doing a lot of that, but you know, is, uh, just try not to be, not to let it become a distraction to the extent mm -hmm. that you can avoid it. I mean, you know, of course it's, it is a distraction, but yes. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, what's going on is, is it, that's evidence of progress, right? You're, you're achieving a degree of, of, um, of stability of attention and, um, and lack of dullness that yeah. is producing these effects. So, you know, pat yourself on the back. <laughs> I would. Thank you. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, looks like Mike has his hand up. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in on a question on that because, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I noticed, or actually I was remembering something that uh, Gilbert said of, some weeks ago, how dullness uh, could be a form of aversion. And with what Alexander was saying, I was wondering if I could get a little... Um, 
follow up on that when you when you were mentioning that dullness um, was kind of covering up emotions because um, I'm kind of confused how that works because I'm also struggling with dullness still so I was wondering how how is it is it like um, just kind of wanting to feel the pleasantness of dullness and not come out of it is that what it is or is it something else are you asking me or Alexander well, well, I can start with Alexander, see if he has anything to say about that. Yeah, that, the, the reason I ask is it sounds like he could probably speak to that. Sure. Yeah, I can tell you what, what I think about it or what I know about it or experience and, and anyone else can jump in with more information or clarification, maybe. Um, so for me, um, it, well, it wasn't like an active decision of course, to, to say, oh, there's a bad feeling coming up, I'll better stay in dullness. It, it, it wasn't like that, but I, I think it could be a description of what was going on anyway. Um, what I just noticed is that, um, it, okay, I think it would be too long now to, to describe what I did to encourage the emotions maybe to come up, but what I sort of started to notice is that um, there was also a lot of efforting and a lot of aversion to the dullness, and it, it was a whole mess of different things mixed up. And um, when I learned to, to let go of that a bit and, and found a more um, relaxed attitude towards the dullness, um, I, I noticed that sometimes when I was fighting dullness and then I let go of that, that the dullness sort of got less strong and then I saw emotions coming up. And um, then I had the intention to, to encourage these emotions and sometimes I, I did this verbally and said, oh, it's okay to be there and you, you don't have to hide. And I, I tried to, to um, evoke a feeling of welcomeness and safety for, for the emotions. And I did this for a while and, and after a while, it's maybe a bit like with the intentions we had before, it became like a little thing I could do. Like I noticed dullness and then I had the intention to, oh, welcome these emotions. And then they, they would come and hit me. And I, I felt big, big waves of sadness. Most of the time without any content. So there's no story, no bad thing that happened, nothing, just the, the sadness. And uh, I found that quite interesting and, and said, okay, that, that, that is something that's now different than to the weeks and months before. And I, I thought I, I should work with that. And so sometimes in the beginning of my sit, I, I thought about this and said, I, if there's any emotion coming up, I, I want to be encouraging them to come up. If any submind has anything to, to share, to project into consciousness, I want to have that happen. And I prefer that to being dull. And that, that was a bit the thing. So um, I, I'm not sure how the mechanism works but in the end it's just dullness avoided being aware of the emotions uh, and probably it was more like that because in the end after many many months dullness was not really feeling good for me anymore because usually i noticed dullness but couldn't get out of it and was really struggling with it and i, I woke up from dullness and then i felt that like the last five minutes i was sitting there like wake up wake up wake up without being conscious of it so it, it wasn't like a pleasurable escape but it was yeah just an escape into like other people go home uh turn on the tally and, and drink a beer and just space out um something like that uh, yeah I, I hope that's helpful and uh if you have more questions 
That's no, that's very, very informative to hear that. Yeah. Okay. Experience with that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that, Alexander. That's really helpful. Um, I will point out, uh, because I think people often have this question, how do I develop more metacognitive introspective awareness? What you just described is more metacognitive introspective awareness developing. That's how it develops. You discover things. You start to make observations. And, and that's your metacognitive introspective awareness getting better. So I know nobody asked about that, but I just wanted to mention it. Yeah, it's really, it's really awesome. Like it's when you, the thing is, you know, this stuff happens and you're like, wow, this is really cool, but you don't really connect it with what, what Chula Das is talking about with metacognitive introspective awareness. And so I just wanted to mention it because I think, you know, a lot of people, people ask that question all the time. Like what practice do I do to develop metacognitive introspective awareness? Well, congratulations, you're doing the practice. <laughs> so it, it just felt like learning something about myself. But, yeah, um, yeah exactly. like that, it's there's sort of this like I have now this little process that can detect these things and can alert yeah. me to that's well kind of, that yeah that little process so metacognitive introspective awareness is the noticing and the automatic reaction and and so you just described both of those so thank you um, who's next. Can I ask a quick follow-up about the metacognitive introspective awareness? Because what you just described to me is my understanding of, my limited understanding of awareness. So like, what's the difference between awareness and metacognitive introspective awareness? Metacognitive introspective awareness is when you're actually being able to, um, first of all, have, so introspective awareness is just kind of a general noticing of what's going on or general awareness of what's going on. Metacognitive introspective awareness has more of an understanding of what's going on. Um, not, not like a, a intellectual understanding, but, but it's like, it's, it's seeing more structure to what's going on, you might say, more detail to what's going on, one. And two, um, it comes with the, whatever habits you've developed around it. So, so like what Alexander was talking about where he notices the dullness coming in, he notices that there is something under the dullness and he knows he has now an automatic process that comes into play whenever that comes up. And he just like, when, when the, when that situation occurs, it's like a little, you know, if, I don't know if you're into software, but it's like, it's like a little, a little uh, interrupt routine, like an interrupt happens. And um, like you were, you were just sitting there, you know, meditating on the breath and suddenly like your awareness noticed this thing happening and did something about it and and it was like a it was like an interrupt service routine and you didn't actually have to take your attention off the breath because it just happened and you know it was still your mind doing it i mean or you know sometimes what will happen is that this thing will happen and your attention will turn to it because it actually needs your attention you need to investigate what's going on um but uh but it's happening the 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 what you've done is you've created a new process in, in awareness and, and actually like if you think about like when you're driving and you know you're driving along and suddenly you start to slow down and then a moment later you realize that you're slowing down because you noticed uh, a dangerous situation up ahead or a, a, a potential hazard um, that's all, that's an example of metacognitive extrospective awareness you might say right you you have 
you, you have this learned behavior that's happening automatically now. And so, so metacognitive introspective awareness is kind of the same idea, except that instead of not running into the back of a car, you're not being uh, driven into dullness by your emotions or, you know, whatever. So anyway, uh, so um, Martin had a- I can, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to uh, jump in based on Chris's question and what we were just talking about right before that, where if you're kind of observing something and noticing something about yourself, that is a form of metacognitive introspective awareness. And it was going to um, kind of connect it with one thing that I, I noticed too, was at the end, end of sit like a week and a half ago um, <clears throat> when the bell rang, I, realized I had the feeling that I was really, really happy that my meditation was over. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, I haven't really uh, noticed that I've been feeling that way about my meditation lately, actually, since I was well, since I first started meditation. And then I, I kind of felt that way at first, and then it went away. And now it's back. So that was kind of a, a awareness uh, for me to say, okay, well, I'm not doing the in not getting the enjoyable aspects of the meditation um, that is recommended to do. So I said, I just want to throw that out there. It's kind of, I think that's a, like a tangible example of um, metacognitive awareness. Yeah. Um, and you, you might also, it might not be that you backslid, but just that your life is different. And now there's like something competing with meditation that wasn't before or competing more. That's definitely possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good to it's good to notice that kind of stuff. Like, I, it took me a while to notice that um, I would peek out in my meditation, and then diligence would slack off because I was satisfied. And it's just, that's also an example of metacognitive introspective awareness. Anyway, um, of course, it gets more than that. I mean, those are those are early examples, but um, that's cool stuff. So, so um, Martin, you had a question a while back. Yeah, it's it's. I'm not sure if this is a beginner question or but like it's a really far out there question. Um, so I discovered how to do something and I don't know what it is. And I like um, everyone's input on if this is something you've ever heard before or if I'm really going off on a really weird tangent. Um, so I kind of discovered that I can change how my breath feels when I put my attention on the breath at the nose. So the old way that I used to perceive it um, was really clear, um, really sharp and crisp and um, bright. So like the way it feels when you breathe in really cold air and it really hits like the side of your nose in this dramatic kind of fashion and it's really really cold and crisp and then i kind of discovered that i can change that and i can change it so that it doesn't feel like that and the way i would do that is kind of anchor attention um somewhere else like in the body um maybe the abdomen or the hands or that thing you said ted couple of weeks ago where you would try to feel the space between your tiny like littlest toe and the one next to it like just 
grounding attention in the body for, for a short while and then putting attention back on the breath. And when, whenever I do that, my, the breath feels different. Um, it feels like you're breathing in warm air. It's much more um, muted. Uh, it's not as crisp and, and clear and, and bright. It's, it's more of a dark, smooth, flowiness to it. And I think, so the reason this is uh, like relevant at all is that I, I think what that first mode is, is kind of me over-efforting like crazy. That's like me just slapping attention on the breath in like a really gross way. And the other way feels more like a balanced application of attention and awareness. Um, but I've never, so I've really struggled with that concept of not collapsing awareness. And I think this might be what it feels like. But I've never read that description of the feeling of the breath changing in that really dramatic way. And also I can feel like I can really tell the difference. It's really clear. And my, my attention or whatever is happening, there's a tendency for me to slip back into that first mode, into the mode that I think is incorrect. Um, yeah, so any, any thoughts of, of anyone who, who knows anything about this at all would be appreciated. Does anybody else want to go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at that because I've kind of noticed the same thing happening to me. Like I, I know exactly yeah. what you mean about the, like it feels like winter ice cold air coming in. And to me, I've kind of seen that as not a peak state, but like a, a good state. And when it gets smooth and flowy and warm and that kind of stuff, that's more when I associate it with dullness or sort of attending to the concept of the breath as opposed to the actual sensations of the breath. And I tend to find that as I open up more awareness around, that's when the attention really kicks up and starts to develop and I get into that state of the sharpness and the cold. And then from there, other weird stuff has been happening lately too. But when, when sort of the strong sensations disappear and it's just kind of all this, you know, this comfy, smooth thing that's much lower amplitude, I tend to think of that as, as uh, either dullness or the attention is actually moving somewhere else. Yeah, so one thing that's been happening in my sits, basically every every time I sit, or close to at least, or at least often, is that my sits start out really strong. And I kind of start out in like, even possibly like stage six territory, like stage five, stage six territory, where I have like constant awareness of thoughts running in the background without getting carried away by them at all. And then it like, it tends to fall apart. It tends to get way worse as time goes on. And I can even go back to stage two pretty easily where it's like, and I've, I've been attributing that to overusing attention and kind of um, collapsing awareness. So that kind of distractions 
creep in without me noticing after a while. And I think that I'm noticing that when I, when I kind of have that second, like less sharp attention on the breath, that process doesn't seem to happen. So my sits stay at a high quality. They don't stay at like stage six, but they stage at, they, they stay at like a solid stage four probably um, without like collapsing into like really heavy dullness or really crazy mind wandering. Um, that's why I think it's an improvement. So, um, so, and Ted can jump in here and or anybody else if I'm completely off base, but to me, that's almost what subtle dullness feels like or the characteristic that I think of as subtle dullness where things are kind of comfortable and, you know, I'm not dull, dull, but like everything is comfortable and things get quiet and it seems pretty cool and it's just grooving along. But when I look at the actual sensations of the breath, it's like, I know I've been, you know, up here before and now they're just kind of down here. And so that's what makes me think that I've sort of converged to a stable dullness point. And so when I sort of identify that, then I um, sort of try doing some of the re-energize the mind stage five practices, doing some, you know, putting the attention on my hands or I do this thing where I try to circulate the attention up the back of my spine and down my belly and up and down and just, you know, after five or six cycles of that, it's like everything is going crazy and things start to get sharp again. So um, I'll, I'll interject a little bit here. Um, I, I, everything that you said makes, makes everything that both you, Ken, and, and Martin said makes sense. Um, a couple of things to point out. If you have an experience of the breath where it feels like it's really sharp and clear and you, and it, you understand it very clearly as breath, um, how is that happening? Like, like, is that actually what's happening? Is, do, are you having these clear sensations of smoothness and flow and stuff like that? Are those, are those actual sense, physical sensations? Um, as opposed to what? Mental fabrication? Exactly. Yeah. Um, how, how could I tell? Like, how do I tell the difference? Right. So the reason I'm asking the question is to, is to get you curious about that, because um, yeah. I think that what you'll, what you, if you think about it, you, you, you may realize that, that any time that you have an experience of the breath as some kind of beautiful, smooth object, that that has to be a mental construct. Because the yeah. breath isn't a beautiful, smooth, I mean, it's, it's, don't get me wrong, the breath is awesome, keeps us alive, and, and it's holy, and whatever else you want to call it, depending on your, your uh, spiritual tradition. But, um, but it's uh, really the sensations that, that, are, that, are, that are being used by your mind to form that image of a smooth thing. Like, okay, think about this. Like, here are my glasses, right? I, I, don't, I actually can't see if you can see them because I took them off. But uh, <laughs> notice how they have, like, these nice smooth curves on them and stuff like that. Um, all of those ideas that you have about the glasses being nice, smooth curves and things like that are actually made up of little sense impressions that you've constructed into this experience of a thing that's smooth. Um, and it's not that there isn't a thing that's smooth there, there is. But um, the reason that you know that there's a thing that's smooth there is because your mind has, has formed a construct about it. It's figured out, it's, it's used the information that it's been able to glean from little micro sense impressions 
to form a mental image that we imagine, and it probably is true, uh, represents some physical reality, right? And it's the same thing with your breath. When you, when you feel the sensations of your, your breath, the, the, the more detail you get on them, the less they will, each individual sensation will feel like part of a smooth process and the more it will feel like just a little piece of information. Um, so whenever you're experiencing this beautiful, clear, and I know that feeling, I love it, it's really pleasant. Um, and and it's, it's not a bad thing, I mean, I'm, I'm not criticizing it, but, but, but whenever you feel that feeling of the breath is this wonderful, perfectly clear, like beautiful object, that's a mental construct. Um, and so the reason that I'm saying this is not to say, you know, there's this way that's right and this way that's wrong. What you describe, Martin, are just two different ways, two different mental constructs that are being formed for different reasons in different contexts. Neither one of them is correct, right? They're both just mental constructs. And so what you actually want to try to do is see if you can let go of that mental construct and see what's behind it. Um, and so, so when you, and, and it's, this isn't something you can make happen, right? So the, the reason why we do the stage five practices is because um, when you have, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, but this, I'll, this is one. <laughs> um, when you have that beautiful mental construct and you want to get finer detail, the way that you do that is not by like, like, you know, going like more detail, more detail. At some point you may be able to form an intention to see more detail, but, but initially what you do to get more detail is just sort of increase the clock rate of your brain. And the way you do that is by doing the stage five practices. So, and by increasing the clock rate, what I mean is now the samples, the sample size is smaller. And so, so, you know, like if, if you look at like, you know, in calculus, when you calculate the area under the curve, right, the, the way that they explain that is by, you know, the, the, at least the way Newton explained it was that you would just chop the thing up into smaller and smaller pieces. And at some point the piece would be so small that the little variation at the top wouldn't be enough to make a difference in the measurement. And this is what you're going for. You're going for like, like little teeny pieces. Um, and what you'll, well, I, I don't even want to tell you what you'll find because like then you would try to find what I told you instead of just trying to see what's there. So, so what I'm getting at here is, is just when you have that feeling that you're seeing something that's perfect and, and, and clear and, and distinct, um, if you're, if you're at the point that you just described, Martin, which is actually, it's a really good place to start practicing. Um, the, that, that place that you described where everything feels good and perfect, that is the perfect place to be doing stage five practices. Because at that point now, you can, you, you can start to turn up the, the, the clock rate. And by the way, it'll, it'll, it'll totally blow up your meditation when you do that, right? You'll start getting distracted again. I mean, you, you're, all of the things you described are things that happen when you do that. You turn up the clock rate, you turn up the energy level, and suddenly your mind gets more active and you start finding, oh my God, I'm back in stage two. And then you basically, you just need to, you know, if you can, try to turn it up just a little bit until, until things start to go off kilter and then adjust. And then, and then when you get to the point where you're stable with it up at the volume slightly up, then turn the volume up a little bit more and try to find some more stability and just keep doing that. And eventually I think you'll find that the breath that feels like a very smooth object, like your experience of it will change. Um, and, and, you know, trying to describe exactly how your experience of it will change is futile because 
I would just be telling you what my mental construct, because it's still going to be a mental construct, right? It's not like, it's not like suddenly the mental constructs are going to go away and you're going to see the truth or something like that. Cause, cause everything you see is, I mean, even your sense percepts are really a mental construct. Like there's some like, you know, chemical reaction or electrical impulse or something like that going on. And your mind is interpreting that as a sense percept. So it's always interpreted. But what you're getting for is less and less, smaller and smaller degrees of interpretation so that what you're, what you're getting at is closer and closer to raw data. So, so anyway, I mean, the, the, what, where, you're, where you are, when you get to that place in your meditation, you should always think, oh, time to do stage five practice. Yeah, it's, it's not a thing I need to work up to, though. Mm -hmm. Or maybe just a couple of seconds. Like, That's great. That's fantastic. Um, and so what do you think of my interpretation or my hypothesis that this has something to do with how I apply attention, so attention to the, the breath? Because it's been feeling, so this is in a way different direction, but mm -hmm. it felt like before I was just basically throwing all my mental energy at attention, at the breath. So like yes. fully like, like ramming my fist into the cup and sending the cup flying through the air and then suddenly like wondering why my meditation shatters into a million pieces of distraction and dullness. Right. And so what it feels like now is like um, just like turning up the energy or turning down rather the energy of attention mm -hmm. and thereby kind of giving awareness room to breathe so yeah I, I mean that's that's if you think about what the end of stage four is that what you just described should be the end of stage four right that you you've stopped going all the way over into attention and you've also stopped going all the way over into awareness and you've now found a balance and that's that's good that's the end of stage four um hmm. so yeah so so what you're describing is, is exactly, I mean, when you, when you first said that, I was like, wow, he's per that's the perfect description of the end of stage four. So, um, so yeah, and if that's happening when you sit down, that's awesome, right? It's just the problem is now you're going to have to like blow up your meditation because, you know, <laughs> life. <Yeah. laughs> but but it's, it's good to have that ground state to, to, to compare to, and now you can, now you can advance. But, but the thing that I wanted to say about it is that the actual, the experience of the breath um, when you, when you have like a ton of attention on the breath and it's this beautiful clear object and you have a more of a balance of attention on the breath and it's slightly less that sharp, you know, glassy, like icy thing. Um, those are both just perfectly valid ways of looking at the breath. Neither one of them is, is right or wrong. They're just, they're valid. They're just different. Yeah. Um, so, it feels like, it feels like when I go for the first thing, so the really clear tons yeah. of attention way mm -hmm. that kind of, tears up my awareness yeah but so it it's possible downstream consequences yeah right but but the the reason why i'm making this distinction is because um the the reason why that's why what you said is true is because you're you you have a small budget of attention and awareness and you're devoting too much of that budget to attention but suppose you had a larger budget of attention and awareness you might find that you could have that same experience of the breath without blowing away awareness and that's yeah. stage five, right? Stage five yeah. is, is, is increasing the budget. 
Yeah, but but yeah. meanwhile, it's probably still skillful to to kind of budget the little I have in in a correct way, right? Yeah, we're so, right. So, so that's yeah, exactly. That's that's what you've done. That's that's how you've succeeded in stage four. You you found a balance. Um, but what I'm trying to tell you is that you can't actually use that experience of the breath to tell you that your that your balance is off because as your budget increases you may yeah. find that the breath starts to look more like it did back when you were putting too much attention on it, even though now you're not putting too much attention on it. Yeah, that makes it even more complicated. Yeah, so thanks for- I'm glad to help. My, my uh, hopes of like catching something solid and- I know, burning. it's terrible. <laughs> no, I mean, this is, yeah. this, is, this is part of the process of going through the stages is just realizing like, you. you you can't you can't rest on your laurels like you find something that makes sense and, and you're like okay great but now you have to blow it up again yeah the, the really nice thing about this is that it's a really good feedback device so mm -hmm. as soon as i slip into like a hundred percent attention mode yep my like the feeling of the breath changes really dramatically it's like yep. suddenly i'm breathing in cold air and it's like oh i guess my awareness collapsed time to like get some attention on the body for a short while and then come back and then it's so that's really yeah cool. and by the way don't stop doing that i'm not saying stop doing that i'm just saying as you progress you will start to notice these things that, like that yeah. marker will shift and you'll have to relearn what that marker looks like but it doesn't mean you shouldn't use it yeah cool yeah yeah if i could just add a quick note on that too what ted said is exactly correct about um like i had the exact same experience that back in the beginning i was completely over efforting and i could certainly get to that place where the breath was like super sharp and clear but it was like 100 percent attention and it was just you know sheer force of will that i was able to stay there and you know soon i realized i was you know Oh, am I still on? Yeah, yeah, we're hearing you. Sorry, something just freaked out of my computer. Sorry about that. Um, the uh, and that was that pure effort and pure attention thing. Basically, was me going sixty miles an hour into a cliff. It was like a complete dead end for my practice. And after dialing back the effort and making more of a point to try to open up awareness and just kind of keep attention without using that strong, you know, that willpower that, you know, I'm going to stay here. I was able to sort of have that same experience of the, the very sharp, very cold thing you're talking about. But that was with more awareness and openness. And I think probably that's because you know, there was a little bit more overall budget, you know, as opposed as opposed to, you know, I think before 90% of my mental budget was just on effort and there was only 10% left to actually pay any attention to the breath because I was spending all my energy, all my brain cycles on efforting this. And so it's like I, I had the experience of having the same physical experience almost, but with completely different states of mind and levels of i don't know skill and maturity or whatever you might want to call it in the practice so that's echoing exactly what ted was describing
Well, so I, I hope that we haven't depressed you here, Martin, but uh, hopefully this was helpful. No, this is good. I was okay. I was getting pretty hopeless of kind of not advancing through the stages for a pretty long time, as yeah. everyone does from time to time. But I'm seeing some real change. And um, on top of that, I'm really enjoying my sits right now, mm -hmm. um, which is um, which is really nice because when the breath feels good, it's much more easy to want to come back to it. Having the intention to come back to it and not be distracted is way easier when you're like, oh, this is like this flu flowing, smooth, warm, syrupy thing. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, I think that we've uh, we've we've uh, certainly done our due diligence on the on the um, the pre-stage five stuff. Um, so, if anybody has any later stage questions they want to ask, those are also welcome. And by the way, that this was uh, you guys asked some really great questions here. anybody I mean I don't want to force everybody to, to ask questions if you don't have any you're welcome we, we can also uh, adjourn but I just you know Jan uh, Steve Ken here's a question that's not uh, specific to practicing in the later stages but it is about sure. kind of stage stage advancement into the later stages uh, in terms of time frame um, because uh, while I rationally understand this is kind of a lifetime commitment to, there's no end to the discovery uh, that we're on. Um, getting to, let's say stage 10 or something like that. What's a reasonable, reasonably moderate time frame for that few years? And what's an unreasonably fast time frame for that, something like that. I know it's a very general question. <laughs> yeah, time frames are really hard. I mean, it's yeah. like, um, if you look at, um, if you look at, uh, you're probably familiar with the, with the 10,000 hours idea. You know, you know what I'm talking uh, about? From Yeah, so that's, uh, that's Malcolm been really debunked. Um, that's total nonsense. And the reason it's total nonsense is because you can spend 10,000 hours doing the wrong thing and get nowhere. Um, and so the reason why I mentioned this now is because when you're start starting to think about like, how long is it going to take me to, to get to a certain place in my practice? Well, it really depends on, uh, on what you do. And so, um, and it's a little bit difficult to say, you know, here, just do this and it'll take three weeks, right? Um, you know, you, you occasionally run into somebody who has a breakthrough very quickly. Um, and, you know, you can either be dispirited by that or you can just be glad because it, it indicates the breakthroughs are possible. It's, 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 I will freely confess that I've seen it both ways. Um, but um, it's hard to know why they succeeded as fast as they did. Um, but one of the things that I will say about that is that if you want to make rapid progress, um, the more you can find opportunities to have your preconceptions blown up, the better. Um, because there's a very strong tendency when we're doing this practice to think that we understand what we're doing. 
And you need to be able to understand what you're doing in a sense, because otherwise you can't do anything. So you, you, it's like, if you just decided, okay, I'm not going to understand what I'm doing anymore and that'll fix it. Well, no, that won't fix it. But, um, but you need to have your assumptions questioned a lot and you need to, so, so one way you can do that is you can go back and you can review the book. Um, and, uh, that can be helpful. Another way you can do that is you can do things like this, where you come into this group and you say, this is what's going on in my practice. And I think blah. And then somebody else says, well, you know, yeah, but have you thought about that? And the reason why I open up the floor here and, and I'm not just lecturing is not because like I'm trying to be egalitarian or anything. It's because this is the process. This is why Sangha is important. You know, you, you hear about the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. Well, the reason why the Sangha is important is because if you're just sitting there practicing by yourself, you can be doing the wrong thing for 20 years and get nowhere. And nobody's ever going to correct you because you decided to sit by yourself. So these situations are where those corrections happen. And I mean, it's working for me too. It's not just like, I'm not just here because, you know, I'm helping you guys. You guys are helping me. Um, this is the process. Uh, whenever you express what's going on in your practice, you create an opportunity for somebody to say, well, have you thought about this? If you never express what's going on in your practice, then that won't happen. So, so uh, this is also why I try to, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because sometimes these calls get, get pretty heavy. With nine people, I mean, every, basically everybody can go, and that's great. Um, so, so when you're on a call and there's like 20 people and you don't happen to be one of the ones that gets to talk, well, see if you can relate to what other people are talking about and use that in your practice. And always be looking for ideas, like looking for ways that you're, um, and I don't mean ideas like this is going to cure my practice. Like don't look for like a magic bullet. Um, look for look for places where you realize you're making an assumption and the assumption might be wrong. Um, and then uh, if you if you are fairly diligent about that, then um, you know. Again, it, it it varies from person to person, but but in principle, you can you can advance all the way up to stage ten in a year. Um, it might take three or four years. If it's taking longer than five years, then you probably either the either and honestly, I mean, there's also the question of like you know if you're gunning for awakening, just just betting on one practice is not really the right thing to do. Um, it doesn't mean TMI is bad. TMI is awesome, but um, but you shouldn't just rely on TMI. If, if you really want to get awakened like next week, like don't just be, don't just investigate one practice, learn more than one practice. Um, and, and then you can, you may find that, that, you know, like, like I found, like I, I so I, I went to the, to the fighters course and I had a really great result there doing something totally not TMI and, um, I'm still doing TMI. Well, why is that? It's because TMI is incredibly beneficial to my practice now going through the TMI stages is really helping me to do the things that I need to do as part of my ongoing practice. But, um, you know, don't, don't just assume that, that, you know, if you dedicate your life to TMI, that this is going to be the thing that, that brings you to awakening because it may be, and it may not be. Um, and it really depends, like you may have a blind spot about TMI and it may be, it may like, it, it may take, you know, that blind spot, somebody will eventually point out the thing that you're blind about, but it could take a while. So like mixing it up, the other thing about mixing it up is then it also tends to shatter your assumptions. So like if you, if you go and you do some other practice, then you come back to TMI, you can be like, oh, wow, I missed this thing that I've been, you know, I, I never noticed this thing about TMI that, 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 that uh, 
you know, I've been practicing all this time and I never noticed. And, and then you, you notice that thing and your practice suddenly shifts and you, you go and you're doing another thing and, and, and suddenly you're making progress really rapidly where before you weren't in a practice that you might have spent three years trying to make progress in and not made a lot in. So you, the, more, the more you can churn up, um, this, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of stopping myself from saying this because you also need to develop some continuity. Right, you need you need to be doing the churning, but you also need the continuity. You need to be, you need to like notice where you've been, have some idea of where you're trying to go, and what you need to do to get there. If you if you ever sit down and you don't know what to do, get up and ask somebody. Right, if you sit down and you're like, well, you know, I know that if I sit down, my meditation is going to go the way it went last time, and I want my meditation to advance, and I don't know what to do. Go read the book, go talk to me, you know, go onto the subreddit and ask a question. Don't just, don't just keep sitting because the longer you wait to figure out what you need to do, the longer it will be before you do it. And therefore the longer it will be before you get to the next stage. So that was kind of a long rambling answer, but it's kind of a hard no, question. That's good because it is, yeah, that, you know, I put you on the spot a little bit. No, no, <laughs> no worries. That. It's great. But I also appreciate the tools that you're talking about to, to get there, which I, based on what I've read as well, sounds very important. And I do think that I do go to sits and I say, I don't want it to be like the sit yesterday, or it, I think it's going to be like the sit yesterday. And it what is like the sit yesterday and the day before that. So maybe that's a, a lack of knowledge that I need to uh, find yeah. out about. I mean, when you're, when you're actively working on something, it's perfectly fine to keep actively working on it. Like, like if you're having an issue with dullness and you know what to do, that's great. It's not, it's, it's you know, it might take weeks or, or, you know, it might take a month to learn the new little bit of metacognitive introspective awareness that allows you to get past that obstacle. But if you're just sitting down and meditating because that's what you do, that's probably not going to have that effect. You, you, you need to be actively engaged. I mean, this is what, when Chula Dasa, there's a section in the book where Chula Dasa talks about diligence, and this is precisely what he's talking about. Sit down, know what's going on, know what you need to do about what's going on, and do it. And if, if you don't know those things, then get help. And, you know, some, sometimes it's more, you know, by know what's going on. I mean, that itself is a process of curiosity and investigation. So, but, yeah. Like, it's not, it's not like you're suddenly omniscient because, because you decided to be. So. Yeah. Right. And I, uh, I agree yeah. with a lot of what you're saying. And um, specifically, I remember a while ago, we were talking about triggers, especially like at the airport and stuff like that. So I try to, yeah base my life around. Well, if I think something's going to trigger me, I want to uh, observe what's happening there. I think that's a nice off the cushion relation to, to the meditation. Sometimes I'm not in meditation as observant as I am in those situations. So that's yeah. nice to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's this, uh, my, uh, my Tibetan Lama did a teaching a while, a long time ago where he was talking about, you know, 
the problems of, of, of uh, practice. And one of the problems of practice is when practice is going okay, there isn't like this little part of you that's going like, why, why is it going okay? What do I need to change? Why? Because it's going okay. And whereas, you know, out in the world, there's always somebody in your face or, you know, something, something that's this, that, that, you know, you need to, or, or that you can, you know, be aware of and, and, and react to, whereas in meditation, you're doing all the work. So. All right. Uh, is is does anybody else uh, have anything they want to bring up? Alexander, is are you? You're you're making a little motion with your hand, and I couldn't tell whether you were raising your hand or just making a little motion with your hand. Okay. Um, all right. Um, Jan, go ahead. Yeah. Um so my practice has been going really well actually um i've been getting a lot of stage eight practices and maybe even stage nine um i'm not even sure like uh what really stage nine is um but uh, most of the time i'm really starting my sits off concentrated and then after a while i become effortless and then i can to choiceless attention, um, uh, a lot of these things. But now I also experience a bit more calm when I do it. So when I used to do choiceless attention, usually it was more, um, yeah, more rapture, more pity, I would say. Now it's a bit more calm. It almost seems like my body is disappearing. Um, and I thought that was more like stage nine stuff, but uh yeah and um i've been experienced some like off cushion stuff that's going through as well but it's getting like nice um energetic yeah stuff like that so um that that's great um and uh something interesting happened like I went down the rabbit hole, I would say, and read like the power sections of uh, Daniel Ingram. Um, and sometimes I meditate on a cushion and then my leg goes numb. And one time I came out of the fourth jhana and focused on my leg and I started to get feeling in my leg again. I don't know if it was coincidence or like uh, stuff that he's talking about. It's just, I was really like, well, what the fuck? Um, but that was like uh, pretty cool. Um, Maybe what I was wondering was, um, is it better to uh, stick with an inside practice for a longer time? So um, should you do like choiceless attention for um, like a week or should you alternate between inside practices? So um, I'll say a couple of things about that. And, and you know, don't take my word as, as authority on this. Just, just, this is, this is what I've heard and, and, uh, and what I think. Um, and you should, I would encourage you actually, if you, if you can to also talk to Nick because he's, uh, he's been all the way up to stage 10 and I haven't. So, um, uh, one of the things that you need to do when you get past stage eight is, is essentially you are now, really you're you're not a you're not a, a 
you're not a student anymore. You're, I mean, you, you are in a sense, but you're not a student in the same way. And to some extent, um, you actually need to develop the, the capacity to figure out what to do in your practice because it becomes very individual at that point. Um, and so it sounds like you're asking the question, like, like, should I do these things for a short time or a longer time? And what I would suggest you do is, is try both and see, see what effects you get. Like, like, do you, do you feel like you're getting a snowball effect from, from doing the inside practice continuously for a week? Or do you feel like it's just dry and not really helpful? And, and then, you know, make your decision based on that. I mean, um, you know, Jeffrey, Jeffrey definitely, Jeffrey Martin definitely suggests doing it for a week and then going on to the next one rather than just doing it once. So, so maybe that's a data point to use. Um, and, you know, but yeah, I mean, it, you're, you're, you're at a fun place where you get to explore now and you, you get to, you get to, to learn. I mean, it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're, you're experiencing genuine progress still. And I mean, one of the things that'll be a marker for further progress is as you get through tranquility and into equanimity. Um, that's, that's the process of getting to the later stages. So, um, so what yeah. you're describing sounds like you're approaching, you're, you're certainly at least in, in tranquility and maybe approaching equanimity. Um, yeah. What I also noticed was, um, like a while ago, I was talking about more like a purification thing where, mm -hmm. um, I felt very suffocated and stuff. Now that's something still happens but now i am concentrated and have equanimity towards it it seems so it's like okay it's there but it's just like empty phenomena it's like fine it's okay but it's yeah. very trippy when i'm like meditating but it's like okay and i'm still concentrated it's still like yeah yeah it's not like yeah it's it, uh, you can have some like really disturbing things happen and be totally okay with them which is really weird like I remember um, having a meditation where I suddenly found myself deep in terror. And I mean, like, 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 you know, um, evil aliens from another dimension are about to eat me terror. And, and, and I was like, is this okay? Yeah, it's okay. It's weird. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, where did the terror come from? Like, where is that feeling that you're having? I mean, of course, there's some like under there's some deep mind process that's that's going on that needs to surface that, and it was felt comfortable surfacing it. So, this is all good. I mean, these are these are it, they talk. You know, Chuladasa talks about stage four purifications and stage seven purifications, but the reality is, what he really means is that you can have stage four purifications anytime after stage four, and you can have stage seven purifications anytime after stage seven. And so, what you're describing is you know, now you get to the point where the stage seven purification comes up and you're just like, okay. And that's great. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, at some point you may find that you, that you learn how to go and seek these things out. Like, uh, one of the practices that I do now is, is, um, off the cushion. Um, I'll be aware of, uh, emotions that are coming up and, um, you know, the, the thing that's interesting is, is having a new one come on your radar because there's all of these processes going on in the background. You're not really aware of them. And then one of them comes up and you realize, Oh my God, how did I miss that all this time? And so, so part of your, part of your journey now off the cushion is probably going to be just, just doing that is identifying, you know, things that are, it feels like, you know, when a fish, 
if you ask a fish if, if, if a fish knows what water is, the fish is like, I don't know what water is because it's, it's been swimming in it its whole life. So it's just, this is the way things are. We, we think of air as being not there. It's not a physical object. It's just empty space, but actually it's air. Um, so, so now you're going to start identifying all the different kinds of air and learning how to relate to them differently. And that's, that's a cool process. Okay, cool. And cessation, um, because, um, like I'm, I had a moment today where it maybe felt like a cessation was yeah. or happened, but I'm not sure. Um, but I don't know, like what the deals with cessation is it like something you you're completely sure of when it happens or um, um because yeah it's still it felt like i was gone for a moment then came back and then I, uh, it was like more light and more like uh um happiness and stuff like coming up like expanding there was this um, in meditation or yeah during meditation was yeah yeah, I mean, it's you can have cessations that are that are that are very consciously, um, and, and uh, again, not speaking as an expert on this, right? But you can have cessations that are that are, that, that come up at a conscious level, um, and you can have cessations that are that are pretty subtle and that you don't clearly experience as as, as a known thing. And Chuladasa says that we all have cessations from time to time and don't notice them because. You know, we're just, we just don't have enough mindfulness to actually notice what's happened. So it could be that what's going on for you is that you're actually approaching a point where you'll, where you'll have a cessation and afterwards you'll be like, oh yeah, I had a cessation, but right now you're not quite there yet. So, so you had a cessation maybe, but, but, but you can't be sure of it the way that you would be later. So I would just keep, keep an eye on that. Um, if you, if you want to know more about cessations as a, as a, as an ongoing phenomenon, definitely talk to Nick because that's a thing that he's that he's got a lot of experience with. Um, I've been talking to Tucker a lot. I'm not sure. Yeah, Tucker Tucker uh, experiences them too. Um, the reason I mentioned Nick is because Nick can do them kind of on demand, and and he's like to him they're like different different kinds of snow. <laughs> so. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I would I would definitely suggest if you if you can that you that you have a conversation with Nick. All right. Thanks. Okay. All right. Uh, well, it's getting towards the end of our usual ninety minute slot. Uh, does anybody want to get in the last word before we say goodbye? Yeah, I've actually got something. Okay. I just wanted to um, express my gratitude for this group um, because this was kind of the first like explicitly Dharma thing I joined ever. And um, even though many of the, um, it's not necessarily that I'm so grateful that I got good answers, even though I did. Um, I'm just really grateful that this exists and I attribute a lot of um, the success I've had in the past couple of weeks to this group, although pretty indirectly. Um, so just thank you guys for doing this and especially thank you, Ted, for hosting this and for being so patient with us. That's it. It's, honestly, it's my pleasure. I really enjoy this.
yeah, that's Andrea. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Martin, and, and thank thank you everybody for coming. And and uh, really, it's a pleasure to see you all and to talk to you about this stuff. Take care. Have a good week. <laughs>